we wind up fasting regret and apathy and appearances. We fast premature resolution and neutrality and denial and comparison. We fast tidy faith and speeding past sorrow. We fast interacting with God as a job. We fast withholding and escapism. And so each of the days introduces a heart fast. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Elisa Morgan. And I'm Erin Eddy. What comes to mind when you think about spiritual disciplines? Do you think about taking a Sabbath or participating in a fast? When was the last time you fasted? What did you give up? If you're like me, you may think of fasting as only giving up things like food or water. But today we're talking to Dr. Alicia Britt Scholey about how fasting involves a lot more than what we may think. Dr. Alicia is a speaker, leadership mentor, and award-winning writer who focuses on less-than-trendy topics with a combination of realism and hope. She's been married to her husband for 32 years, and together they have three amazing children, all through the miracle of adoption. I am so excited for all of you to meet Dr. Alicia on this episode of God Hears Her. Alicia, this guest that we have, I am so excited because she's just been a dear friend and mentor of mine over the last couple of years. And I just want you to now officially, formally meet Alicia. It's such a joy to be with you both. Erin, I love you deeply. And Alisa, I have heard the world about you oh and what you have meant to Erin. Mm. So it's an honor to spend time with you both today. Thank you. And and for anybody who's confused, <laughs> yes, <laughs> my name is Alisa, E-L-I-S-A, and we are visiting with Alicia Sholey, A-L-I-C-I-A. Okay, so exactly. you're going to yep. hear that. Who's talking now? So <laughs> sorry about that in advance. But well, it's, you know, it's great to meet you, Alicia. Oh, so good to be here. As much as I know a lot about your life, Alicia, I would love for you to share mm-hmm. just with our listeners, where are you from? Where did you grow mm-hmm. up? What was your childhood like? Yes. Well, from is a difficult question. I was born in Las Vegas, Nevada, and we moved every year of my life to a new city. People often ask if my dad was in the military, and I answer that it was more about opportunism. Daddy always had a dream. He was always chasing a new company, a new idea, something new to build. And so mom stopped giving away the boxes, and we would just literally move every single year. In fact, the first time I ever lived more than one, two years stuck together were my last two years of high school. Wow. So the first time I lived anywhere for any period of time was when I was going to university. So my parents really became my, not only my nuclear family, but my best friends, my life, my support system, which worked well because they knew how to love well. Hmm. I grew up well loved. Mm. And I know that that's a a treasure that is rare. Um, There were a lot of things my parents couldn't give me, uh, faith being one of them, but they were able to give me attention. They were able to give me this unconditional listening ear that shaped me. And, And I think that's one of the first things that it would be important to share about my journey 
is that I grew up in a context where my daddy would always sit me down ever since I was tiny. And he would just say, what's the daughter thinking? And it did not matter whatever it was, you know, a two-year-old dream about a hippopotamus flying through the window at night or later on my angst about, you know, systemic injustice or whatever the headlines happened to be. My dad would just listen for hours and say, oh, you're a good thinker. Daughter, those are good thoughts. And I could bring to him any question, any concern, nothing shamed him, nothing shocked him, nothing shut him down. And looking back, I really don't remember any answers because the point of asking questions wasn't getting answers. It was growing relationship. And so when Jesus interrupted, I've been an atheist that whole entire chunk of my life right until the edge of college, when Jesus interrupted my atheistic worldview, And somebody told me, okay, now God is your father. I was like, oh, what a relief. Mm -hmm. That means I can come to him with any question, any concern. Nothing Mm -hmm. will shame him, shock him, or shut him down. So that nuclear family was incredibly formative, not just um, emotionally, but spiritually, Mm -hmm. even though any thoughts about God being real were awaiting a divine interruption that I could have never anticipated. Were you Mm -hmm. an only child? Yes. Because uh-huh. I, I hear this um, in nuclear, very close, cloistered almost. Was it difficult for you to move every single year, or did you come to enjoy the adventure of it the way your father kind of did? I, it, it was what was normal mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. It was difficult when I've processed it years later, but not in the way I had anticipated. I I love new places. I love new foods. I love new things. I love trying something I've never tried before. That sense of adventure stayed with me. What was difficult was the formation of peer relationships. Mm -hmm. Friends, yeah. Mm -hmm. The peer rejection, not just the absence of a community, but Mm -hmm. rejection by peers was an extremely painful part of my journey. And why was that? You know, Elisa, to this day... Other than the fact that I was a pretty strange kid, um, I really can't unravel it. I mean, I I was odd, hands down. (laughs) I mean, my parents would find me up at night past my bedtime, but what was I doing? I'd have my flashlight, and I was memorizing the R's of the dictionary. I loved dictionaries. I loved National Geographic. I was fascinated with encyclopedias. And so my interests were a little off-kilter, from every single new school that I went to. I'm not remotely athletic. I'm spatially disoriented in rather epic portions. The only sport I ever did was golf. And as you know, that's, you know, it, it is, it's a fantastic sport. <laughs> but, uh, but the second it became competitive, I would just, you know, wither away in a corner and um, avoid the competition. So there was a sanctuary in my mind that I wound up living in. And I very rarely, actually not until college, felt like I made peer connections. And so though there was no social media, clearly at that time, everywhere I went, for some reason, my nickname would always be Frankenstein. What? The kid not picked, the last one chosen. Uh, Just formative moments. And my parents' love was extraordinary. But I didn't have a root system beyond visible reality. And so my parents' love was real. And the peer rejection was pervasive. 
And so eventually that spilled over into a very dark season as a teen where I despaired for life. I bet. Thank you for describing this solitude the way you have. It's a beautiful resilience that gets built. Mm. I hear the pain of it, Mm -hmm. but I also hear the deep appreciation in you for the love that you received that became that resilience. Yes. I think that combination, when I consider the things that since Jesus interrupted my life, that I've been interested in, studied, uh, focused upon academically, that combination of being well-loved enough to have the freedom to ask questions Mm. And pain being a companion as opposed to a season. Wow. Those two really forge almost everything that I have touched in the decades since Jesus mercifully saved me. Mm. Alicia, would you share that what that experience was like for you from coming mm. from, you know, you shared being atheist to being mm. falling in love with the Lord. I would yes. love to learn like what that was like. What was that experience? Was that... Mm. Uh, yeah, unpack yeah, that. It's like that term interrupted. Jesus interrupted me yes. that you used. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it truly was. Mm-hmm. Nothing I could have foreseen. So my parents, my mother was a woman who had grown up in a tradition of faith, and she was very faithful to that tradition. My dad was a closet atheist. Who knew? Dad, when he married mom, made a commitment to encourage and encourage her in her faith and also any children they would have honor that faith in honor of her. And so I didn't realize that dad had a zero belief system. Never He never feigned anything other mm-hmm. until way, way later in my life um, after Jesus came to me and awakened me to himself. My parents teased me that the very first word out of my mouth wasn't ma or dad. They say it was why. I've been asking questions <laughs> since I could speak. And people enter into atheism in a lot of different ways. For me, it was more of a philosophical entry. I kept asking why and came to the conclusion that religion was the answer for people who weren't comfortable with empty blanks mm. to those whys. Mm that it was an understandable creation by individuals and communities to help take the edge off the angst of the unknown. Mm -hmm. I considered myself a realist. This is incredibly young. I had chosen atheism as my belief system. Dad said by the age of nine. Fine if people wanted to believe, uh, but for me, I preferred the unknown over what I considered to be a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That choice for atheism was emotionally benign. Mm. It just was. I wasn't angry. I wasn't argumentative. Not yet. So when my life, the edges of my life became more seasoned by some of the pain that I've described, it's then that that flavor of anger started entering into an otherwise emotionally neutral system of belief. Mm. That's when I started getting annoyed, (laughs) initially just annoyed, (laughs) and then just downright upset with people who claimed the existence of a god or gods that held all power. But clearly, when you took a realistic look around the universe, he or she or they was not using said power to prevent pain. I found it simplistic. And so it's fine if people wanted to believe it, but to offer it to me as some placebo, I felt that was cruel. Mm. Uh, That was unkind at the very least, poor thinking. 
So that is what I carried into my approach to college. God gave me two incredible gifts. I met these two young women who had never, ever, ever had their faith question, ever. So we are talking ever. I mean, yeah. just let me emphasize that. And they both you know, were in wonderful families of faith, and they were very committed to befriending the new girl, who they quickly found out was an atheist. And, you know, the gifts that God gives us are present from the very beginning. And so my love of words, my love of logic, my tendency towards debate, were all in full swing Mm -hmm. and unredeemed at that time. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we would have all of these discussions and these discussions would evolve into arguments and the arguments would descend into their tears. And from their tears, they would say the smartest thing they ever could say. They would say, Alicia, I don't know. Brilliant answer, yes. especially yes. when it's true. Yes, yes, honest. Uh, Alicia, I don't know, but I know that Jesus lives and I know that he loves you. Mm-hmm. They felt like epic fails in their witnessing to me. And as far as I was concerned, they were. <laughs> They're believing so strongly in things they explained so poorly, honestly, just added another nail in the coffin to me right. of, uh, mm-hmm. of any faith system. Mm-hmm. But there was something happening that was beyond our perception within me. There was a thaw that because they gave me the present of presence, not only theirs, but the God within them, there was a thaw. That thaw (laughs) turned into a full-fledged avalanche when a friend's mother persisted in asking me to church and realizing that she would never stop asking. I mean, like for the rest of my life, this woman was going to find a payphone and she was going to, you know, because that's all we had. Hello. You know, that she was going to find some phone, find where I was, ask me to go to church. So I finally said, if I go with you once, will you never ask me again? And she said, yes. And so I went with her into this itty bitty little church, sat in the back, absolutely expecting nothing. I hadn't had some dream that invited me to rethink my life. There wasn't a tremor in my belief system. Also, I was not drunk or high or in the pit of despair, Mm -hmm. expecting nothing because nothing existed as far as I was concerned. And from the back of this little church, I started hearing these people begin to sing. And I had a supernatural encounter with the God who pursues those who deny him. I had this hour and a half, two hour, tangible on every level of my existence experience of not just a being and not just the supernatural. I knew like I knew my own name. His name was Jesus. I left that church new and clueless, but new. (laughs) And that was the beginning. Mm. I know right now there's people listening going, I want that, or Mm. I want that for my daughter, or I want that for my grandchild, or I want that, you know, for my husband, or (sighs) I don't want to get stuck here, but Mm-hmm. Anything you might say from your experience mm-hmm. that would be an encouragement to that person? If I could say anything, it would be do not underestimate the present of your presence. There is more going on than our eyes can see. There is more occurring in their hearts and thoughts than we can hear. In that you are a Christ carrier. Jesus has taken up residence mysteriously in a way we could never comprehend. He has taken up residence within you, and everybody you are near is near him in a way that is awakening. Hmm. Never despise or underestimate what the present of your presence is doing, and also the power of your prayers. Keep praying. 
Continue quoting all those scriptures over your loved ones, uh, praying for them in silent places and places that they'll never even know about. One time my son, when he was younger, he said, Mama, how do I know when prayer is working and how do I know when a prayer will be answered? And I took a cup and I took him into the bathroom and I put the faucet on and it was just one little drip. And I said, baby, our prayers sometimes are like those little drips. And I said, we never know when it's going to overflow. So we just keep praying. And my son said, and we never know how big the cup is, do we? Wow. I said, no. So we just keep praying. When we come back, Dr. Alicia will share how we can all look at spiritual disciplines in a new life-giving way. She'll also explain a surprising outlook on fasting coming up next in our conversation. God Loves Her is the newest book in our God Hears Her series. You know, we all just want to be reminded that we are loved. And in this devotional, women writers share personal stories about God's love that is unconditional. Not only can you receive love from Him, but you'll want to share it with others. God Loves Her is perfect to take on the go or to curl up with in your favorite spot at home. Get one for yourself and share with a friend who can use a special reminder of God's love. Go to godlovesher.org to order. That's godlovesher.org. Let's get back into our conversation with Dr. Alicia on this episode of God Hears Her. Alicia, you strike me as a person who uses the spiritual disciplines to access God in a way you experience more of Him. I mean, the things you're sharing, I don't think you kind of just, you know, took a sip of your Bible one day and came out with this stuff. You know, I mm-hmm. think this is a, a process. And and I'm wondering, is fasting one of those spiritual disciplines? Mm-hmm. Does it play a role in this thickness that you're talking about and describing about what we can have in God. Mm. You've mentioned prayer, mm-hmm. you know. Yes. Does fasting as well? Yes, fasting has been a beautiful gift to my heart uh, for many decades. It's taken on different forms at different times. Some of the standing disciplines of fasting, though, for me include quarterly sort of three-day fasts, weekly uh, one-day fasts, but The fasting isn't for the sake of fasting itself. It's a relational commitment to me. I once heard these fasts described as bridegroom fasts, Hmm. based on when Jesus said that, you know, no, they're not fasting. You don't fast while the bridegroom is with you. But when the bridegroom leaves, even though obviously Jesus' presence is still with us, the bridegroom has ascended and Mm -hmm. we're waiting Mm -hmm. a moment beyond description on the other side. And so, yes, fasting for me has been precious. And it's also been a focus academically for me of study because of the kind of fast I see God longing for from us, a fast that is rooted in the love of God and that results in love for humankind. These are the bookends of, I think, fasts that are acceptable to God. They begin not just with duty, And definitely not just with denial. They begin with love for God. And their fruit, their result, their outcome is either intentionally or unintentionally, the overflow is a love for humankind. 
that reflects our Jesus. You use the phrase a relational fast then. Yes, yes. Can you describe that a little bit more? Yes. Well, I think what turns disciplines into devotion is love. Love is what turns disciplines into devotions. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think of the many types of disciplines that we have in our lives, and they're fantastic, but they're fruitful to the extent that they're done relationally. Mm -hmm. Love is what transforms something. Love is what makes something holy. I I think that uh, it may look the same. (laughs) You know, uh, two or three people can do the exact same thing, but maybe one is doing it from fear. I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't do this. Maybe one is doing it for acceptance. This is what everyone else is doing. This is what I need to do. Maybe one is doing it for perhaps a misunderstanding of salvation. I need to do this to earn. But the one who does it for the love of God, Hmm. the fruit is sweeter and more enduring and more shareable. That's a surprise, isn't it, Aaron? I mean, it seems kind of upside downy, but guess what? <laughs> isn't Jesus kind of upside downy? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, mm-hmm. you know, I think growing up, I always equated fasting to fasting food, fasting water, and that's it. I did not think until I feel like only a couple years ago, and honestly, being introduced to your book, Alicia, 40 Days of Decrease, mm-hmm. learning more about. Mm-hmm what fasting looks like. Mm -hmm. I would love for you to speak on that a little bit Mm -hmm. more and identify what is fasting Mm -hmm. fully and how can we practice that in our daily life? Yes. Oh, I'd love to. Love to love to share anything (laughs) about that. uh, So my personal definition of fasting is voluntary abstinence for the love of God. In each one of those words is important. Voluntary means a choice. Mm -hmm. It means willful. I'm exercising my free will of my own volition to do this. Abstinence speaks of denying ourselves something that our culture says we have a right to. And then I've already spoken about for the love of God, which is what turns a discipline into a devotion. When I started studying the history of fasting and looked uh, in the scriptures, the first three times that the word appears in the scriptures... It is a corporate call of fasting. The first time was fasting for God's direction. Mm. The second time was fasting as a form of confession and repentance. Mm. And then the third time was fasting as a manifestation of mourning. So we have this initial purpose of communal fasting of direction, confession, and grieving. But as most disciplines do, most disciplines undergo this process where we gut them of relationship and we make them into sort of an equation. Mm -hmm. And so that is why over time, God sounded the rebuke that we read in Isaiah 58 when he says, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. God reminded them Mm. of what earlier I referred to as the bookend. You fast for me, with me, and your fast must bear the fruit 
of love for humankind. And so when I was crafting 40 Days of Decrease, I wanted to somehow participate in reintroducing the discipline of fasting, even specifically during the period of Lent, but speak more of heart fasts, even beyond fasting designer coffee or fabulous dark organic chocolate with just a hint of sea salt. (laughs) I I know, right? Uh, So in 40 days of decrease, we wind up fasting regret and apathy and appearances. We fast premature resolution and neutrality and denial and comparison. We fast tidy faith and speeding past sorrow. We fast interacting with God as a job. We fast withholding and escapism. And so each of the days introduces a heart fast Mm -hmm. and then connects it with Jesus's crossword journey Mm -hmm. that brought us new life. Mm -hmm. That is a very fresh approach and Mm -hmm. evolving straight out of the love relationship you're describing. What are some fasts that you yourself have done? I'm sure you've done each one Mm -hmm. of these. Mm -hmm. Yes, all of the different fasts obviously have been very precious to me. There's also been some unusual fasts. Mm -hmm. One year, I fasted sugar, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like for a whole year, which was obviously a a tremendous change for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was one year where I fasted purchasing anything for myself, kind of this uh, adventure. (laughs) I mean, from shampoo to shoes. And it was just this wonder. Oh, I tell you what, friend, it was so much fun. It just felt like it felt like an adventure. It felt like a challenge, something that I just wanted to do for the love of God. Mm. And so it was really beautiful seeing out of the blue friends sending me fancy shampoos and you know mama <laughs> mama awesome. coming in and buying me shoes. And it was just So it didn't mean you couldn't enjoy them nothing. or have them. You just needed to just, yield and be dependent on God to provide yes. them. And is yes. that part of the, the key of That's a so fast cool. is that you yield your own control, initiative, doing, and become more mm-hmm. dependent on God's provision in this love relationship. Is that kind of another way to exp- express it? Yes, I do. I think that it is a means of rediscovering the strength of leaning. Okay. We love to stand on two feet, solid and immovable, but faith is enriched by leaning. And fasts invite us to lean. That stunning image we have of John leaning on Jesus. Mm -hmm. So beautiful. We want pictures of it. We just don't want to live it. (laughs) Right? We want to stand on our own two feet. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, the more we lean, the more we love. The more Mm -hmm. we lean, the more we learn. I think the more we lean, we find true spiritual health. Fasting is a form of learning to lean. How would you encourage somebody that... You know, I was thinking about the words we were sharing earlier, like fasting regret and fasting Mm -hmm. comparison or fasting, maybe it's fasting control, which (laughs) is something that I'm learning in trauma therapy right now. Um, (laughs) How does one, how does one just start to embark on that journey? Yes. I would say don't start alone. Faith is also lived in the plural with God and with others. Mm -hmm. I would find a friend and say, let's together for the next week, how could we encourage one another to fast regret? Mm. And in relationship, come up with a plan. Mm-hmm. You know, next time I'm thinking, 
going back to rewind that thing that you know I've told you all too well. I'm just going to send you a text. And your heart says, I'm with you. Mm. In relationship. Relationship grows relationship. Mm. (laughs) And healthy relationship in one sphere overflows into healthy relationships in other spheres, including our relationship with God. So I would say what I've said, start with love. Do Mm. it for love. Do it as a a love offering. And you're like, you may think, oh, it's just too tiny. No, it's not. No, it's not. We live in a day where we underestimate the small. We keep waiting for the oasis. We keep waiting for the big. We keep waiting for utopia. No, change is found in the small, the tiny cracks of life. So start for the love of God. Start with someone you love and start with the small. I want to just lay this out there as well, because I think it holds me back from trying to please God, is Mm -hmm. that I think, whenever I think of fast, I think of I'm doing something wrong, something unhealthy Mm -hmm. that I need to give up because I'm Mm -hmm. being disobedient to God Mm -hmm. and displeasing Him. And that's typically the mentality that immediately I begin to perform from on the topic Mm -hmm. of fasting. And what you're suggesting, Alicia, is to put that out of my mind, or this is probably the next step, (laughs) to when those shame-filled accusations come into my mind, I let God love me even in them. Yes. And then I'll pick up something that I can do, Mm -hmm. that I do want to offer, instead of not offering that preciousness because I'm so lousy and two-faced and et cetera, I let God see me in that and mm-hmm. let God love me in that Yes, and then pick up what I can offer. Yes, absolutely. There's a phrase that Aaron has heard me say a hundred times in our seventh year mentoring. A shift, I believe, is being called for from earth up living to heaven down living. I think a lot of our traditional efforts at fasting, and you described this so well, Elisa, was, is earth up? God, there's something I'm doing wrong. You know, there's something I need to change. There's something you don't like about me, and I, I, need, to, I need to work on that. But there's a shift from this earth up evaluation to this heaven down invitation. I think what he's looking for is movement, not accomplishment. I think he's looking for us turning our face to him, not necessarily crossing some line that we've drawn somewhere. And I go back to with my kids, you know, the first time one of them grabbed the side of something and pulled themselves up and then fell down promptly on their padded behind. I didn't cross my arms and say, oh, for the love, would you let me know when you get that right? <laughs> I went crazy, yeah, right? Yeah. I took pictures. I sent videos. Yeah. I you know, told everybody, not because something was completed, certainly not because something was perfected, but because there was a sign of movement. And God treasures our movement. I, it's so hard, mm-hmm. but as we continue in this journey of living from love, letting him be the good father that he is. I think that we have no idea the joy it brings him when we simply rise and say, I just love you. Incomplete. I'm imperfect. I've messed up 20 times and it's only 6 a.m. But I love you. 
I love you. I'm going to keep turning my face towards you. And to me, love is the strongest real motivator for change. It's so intriguing to learn new ways to fast. God invites us to offer various things up to Him because, like Dr. Alicia explained, it helps us connect with Him. I'm so happy we could have this conversation with Dr. Alicia. She is amazing. Well, before we end today's episode of God Hears Her, we want to remind you that the show notes are available in the podcast description. The show notes include a link to Dr. Alicia's website where you can check out her book, 40 Days of Decrease, to learn more about fasting. There are also links to connect with Alisa and me on social. You can find these links when you visit our website at godhearsher.org. That's godhearsher.org. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, God hears you. He sees you and he loves you because you are his. Today's episode was engineered by Gabrielle Boward and produced by Mary Jo Clark, Daniel Ryan Day, Jade Gustafson, and Ryan Clevenger. We want to also thank Rob and Deb for all their help and support. We appreciate you all. God Hears Her is a production of Our Daily Bread Ministries.